following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So we are in the book of Jude. And if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Jude. Uh, we're going to be picking up where, pretty much where we left off uh, last week. Jude, by the way, I, I, don't, I didn't say this in the first week, but the original name that Jude had was Judas. It's a bit ominous, isn't it? So in Greek, uh, the name is Judas, and the book really should be called Judas, but for obvious reasons. And this is like when the early church came to canonize that book, they decided to literally give him a bit of a rebrand. And uh, because of the connotations with Judas Iscariot, well, I can't really have a book of the Bible called Judas. Uh, so he became Jude. So, uh, but Judas is the Greek word. And so that's, that's literally the name that Jude has. That's a fun fact um, for you this morning. You can share that with someone else today. So Jude, we're uh, working our way through this book. And this morning, let me read from verse 11 down to verse 16. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Okay, a uh, quick little fun exercise to start this morning. Okay, are you ready? On screen, you are going to see uh, a photo, negative image photo. So here's the deal. Apparently, if you stare at that photo for 30 seconds, so you can start doing that now. Stare at that photo, and, and particularly stare at the center. See where you see the three little dots? Stare at that photo for 30 seconds, and then after the 30 seconds, immediately shift your vision to the white side of the screen and blink. And what should happen is that you see, oh, is happening? That you see the color image inverted from the negative. Is, it, is that anyone getting this? Anyone experiencing this? Yes. This didn't, full disclosure, this didn't really work that well for me. Uh, I try. I got a little bit of it, but apparently this happens. Maybe more for some people than others. Some of you getting that? Like your eye kind of knows how to adjust, or your brain like inverts the image, so you end up with a color vision of the woman on the right side of the screen. So you can do that all the way through the sermon, and uh, I'll just I'll just preach away. That's that's a, that's. I'm using that as a slightly cheesy little analogy of what I think this passage is doing, and and how we're going to approach this this morning. This text is really, really negative. 
okay? And you feel like this is a description of these false teachers, these false disciples that are infiltrating the churches that Jude is writing to, uh, that are influencing these Jewish Christians, that are leading them astray. And it's really a rundown of all these negative images about the false teachers, negative metaphors, negative descriptions of them. But what I want to do with you today, and I think ultimately this is Jude's purpose in writing, is not that we just obsess about the negative, but that we try to invert that and that we use that to look at the positive side of what it means to be a disciple. So if this passage is a description of false disciples, which it is, what we want to try and do mentally is invert that image and ask ourselves, well, based on that then, what does it look like to be a true disciple? And we just have to work from the negative image because that's all that Jude gives us. So we just have to do that inverting work this morning. Are you up for that? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try and just flip around some of these negative pictures and ask, if that's the false, then what is the true? If that's the negative picture of false discipleship, what does it mean to be a true, authentic, genuine disciple of Jesus? Okay, so maybe an image to keep in mind as we go through this morning. So let's, uh, let's work through it, starting at verse 12. Jude says, these people, he's talking about these false disciples, these false teachers, these people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. So this idea of the love feast that Jude describes, this is one of the reasons that Christians in the first century got into a whole lot of trouble. This is one of the reasons that Christians were persecuted in the first century, because they talked about having love feasts. And the rest of society was like, what in the world is that? That sounds like some really weird, immoral, promiscuous, depraved kind of gathering. And Christians got the reputation because of this phrase, love feasts, of being sexually depraved people. And this was one of the reasons. This was fueled some of the persecution that Christians experienced in the first century, right here out of the book of Jude. Obviously, that is all based on a total misunderstanding of what Jude is describing when he says love feast. The word love is the word agape, really common word in the New Testament for love. The, the agape feast. What do you think Jude's referring to there? Anybody? Communion. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what Jude's talking about. Not some other weird depraved gathering. He's talking about communion. It's just another description of the Lord's Supper, the agape feast. And so in the early church, they would take this meal just like we do today, except they didn't have little round individualized wafers like we do. And they probably didn't have grape juice. They drank the real stuff. But they would do this in people's homes and it would be done with a meal and it was around hospitality. And once they'd had dinner together, they would move into the ceremony of taking the Lord's Supper together. So a different context, but it's the same ceremony that we observe as we have this meal this morning. And what's happening is that these false disciples are right there in those gatherings, in those homes. And Jude's saying, they're there with you and they're taking this meal together with you. This meal that represents the body and blood of Jesus. And yet they have no idea what they're doing. They are totally missing the significance of this agape feast. Because they're only focused on themselves. He says they're like shepherds, just 
feeding themselves. Don't care about the sheep. Don't care about anyone else. They're just feeding themselves. All they care about is just gorging themselves. All they care about is getting their fill. All they care about is their own selfish, greedy interests. And at this meal that represents the very heart of our faith, they've totally lost sight of what this is really all about. And then Jude goes on and he gives some descriptions of these people that are drawn from the world of nature. In fact, they're drawn from all the the different realms and worlds of nature. If you look at the end of verse 12 into verse 13, he says, they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. So these are people that don't have any real substance to them. Clouds without rain is a way of saying that. They're empty. They're not substantial people. They don't have any spiritual substance. He says they're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. So they don't have any deep spiritual roots, which is why they're not bearing any fruit. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. So they're just like the froth on top of the waves. There's no depth to these people. They're just full of froth, just full of foam. There's no real spiritual depth. And they are like wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. That um, reference to wandering stars, by the way, I looked this up and like Jude obviously didn't know about the, the Hubble telescope. But what we now know is like there are such things as wandering stars. And these are stars that aren't connected to any particular galaxy. They're not gravitationally connected to a galaxy. They just wander. They don't have a fixed place. They just wander. And so there's this sense of like these people don't have a fixed home. They don't, they're not anchored. They're not fixed in their relationship with God. They just wander. They're aimless. They're wandering stars. So you see the kind of picture Jude's building? Like he uses these images from nature Images from the, the sky and the earth and the sea and the heavens, this, this full sweep of nature. And what he's really saying is these people don't have any depth to them. They, are, they don't have any substance. They don't have any roots. They don't have any depth. And they don't have any fixed home. Now, if you take all of that and we try inverting it, and you say, if that's a picture of false discipleship, what does true discipleship look like based on that? What you see is the first mark of a disciple is that a disciple has a firm foundation in the grace and love and mercy of God. That is exactly what these false disciples don't have. They're just wandering around. They're just drifting. And they have no deep spiritual roots. And they're just ignoring the true meaning of the agape feast. So we have this agape feast. And we come to the table every week. And this little wafer here and this little cup of juice, it represents something that's at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. So being a disciple is not about being the super holy Christian. It's not about being the spiritually amazing person. It's not about being a really godly spiritual saint who's got it all figured together, figured out. A disciple is someone who comes to this table and says, God, I am totally broken and I am a hopeless disciple. And I can't even begin to take any steps in the right direction apart from you. A disciple is someone who acknowledges their total spiritual dependence on the grace and the mercy of God to take even one small step on the right road. Yes, God asks us to bear fruit in our lives, but that fruit's only going to happen if we have deep spiritual roots in the grace and the love of God. And that's really the journey of discipleship, is pushing down our roots into the love of God. Not just focusing on going out there and being a better person. Sometimes we think that's 
being a disciple, is, is trying to be a moral person, trying to be a well-behaved person, trying to make myself into a good person. A disciple is someone who is constantly seeking to, how can I grow deeper roots? How can I push my roots down deep into the soil of God's grace, into the soil of God's love, so that I have a firm foundation in Christ? Because if you don't have those deep spiritual roots in your life, then stuff is going to come along and you're going to go through difficult times and challenges are going to come. And without strong spiritual roots, you're going to be blown away by those challenges. You're going to be like the autumn tree that Jude's describing. You're going to be uprooted in your faith because there's no depth there. And you're not going to produce any real genuine fruit because the roots aren't deep. If you've got a shallow root system, it's not going to take much to knock you off course in your faith and shatter and shrivel your faith and take you away from your connection in the love of God. And so the disciple is the one who is saying, what practices can I cultivate in my life to go deeper into the love of God, deeper into the grace of God, deeper into the presence of God? I've got a friend who's... Uh, gone through and going through some huge mental health challenges this year. Just really, really tough stuff. Really difficult. And it is a huge challenge for him. Uh, emotionally, uh, it's a huge challenge spiritually for him. And it's a huge challenge physically, because as you know, like some of these things manifest themselves physically in our lives. And it's just a really, really hard season. I've kind of walked with him a little bit, journeyed with him a bit through this. And it's really, really tough. But I see in this guy's life these deep, spiritual roots that he has cultivated over the years of just soaking in the grace of God and knowing himself as God's child. And I can see the way that even though this is a huge challenge to his faith, it's not completely uprooting him. He's not like the tree that's just uprooted and dead. But he is remaining grounded in his faith. Hard though it is, even in the blackest and bleakest of times, when he feels nothing but emptiness, I still see those deep spiritual roots in his life. That's what makes the difference. How's the spiritual root system? How's the foundation of your life? A disciple is one who has a strong foundation in the grace of God. Eugene Peterson is one of my favorite authors. Uh, he's the guy that wrote the message, translated the message version of the Bible. But it's his other books, really, I think, that have taught me so much. And he's taught me a lot about what it means to be a pastor. And he translates this passage in Matthew 11, uh, where Jesus is speaking. And here's how he paraphrases it. So just picture Jesus saying this to you. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? The unforced rhythms of grace. That is what we're talking about, people, is learning the unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms like cultivating a deep grounding in the Word of God, soaking yourself in Scripture, particularly the Psalms. I think as my life goes on, I'm spending more and more time in the Psalms. Just drawn there. Um, Pedersen was too, by the way. Just soaked in the Psalms. Deep rhythms of worship in your life. Singing, yes, but many other ways of worshiping. What's your worship like, life like between Sundays? Deep grounding in prayer, just being in the presence of God, sometimes not saying anything, just being still. Are these practices there for you? These are the things that will help push those roots down deep 
into the soil of God's grace, down into the deep reservoirs where you can draw the nutrients to develop a deep, whole spiritual life. So the disciple is someone who has a strong foundation in the love and the grace of God. And secondly, here's a second. uh, So we go back to the negatives, the way Jude describes these false teachers. Uh, Verse 14, Enoch. We talked about Enoch last week. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed and all their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, that just sounds exactly like what we looked at last week, this theme on the judgment of God. And it's a picture of the way that these false teachers are going, are bringing upon themselves through the way they're living and the way they're distorting truth. They're bringing upon themselves God's judgment. But let's invert that. Let's try and think, well, if this is false disciples, what does true discipleship look like? And I want to make a distinction here between the book of Enoch. So that's what Jude is quoting. He's quoting this book of Enoch. We talked about that last week. That's an apocryphal book. It's not part of the Bible that we have. It's a book that was written a couple of centuries before Jesus, and it was popular among the Jewish people. It's part of Jewish tradition, but it's not part of Holy Scripture. But there is a difference between the book of Enoch, which is not the Word of God, and the person of Enoch who is in the Bible. So you have to remember that. There was a guy called Enoch who literally was in the Scriptures. He didn't write the book of Enoch, though. He lived hundreds and hundreds of years before the book of Enoch existed. But let me just read you a little bit about Enoch himself, because Jude talks about him, the seventh from Adam, Enoch, this guy. Who is he? Let me read you his little story. It's a very tiny little story. You don't need to turn there, but let me read this. In Genesis 5, verse 20. Two, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Interesting story, hey? Do you notice how long this guy walked faithfully with God? 300 years. Three, like just picture that. Three centuries of walking with God. Like we struggle with 30 minutes of walking with God. This guy was doing 300 years. And again, like not that he was perfect. There's no no sense that he was sinless, but he just walked humbly with God for 300 years. And he just grew closer and closer to God until God said, well, Enoch, you're pretty much closer to heaven now than you are to earth. So why don't you just come over here? And then Enoch was no more. And he was taken to heaven. One of the only people in the Bible who didn't experience physical death. He was just taken to heaven. Just there. He was walking with God one day and then he was just in heaven with God. Just like that because he walked so closely with God. This, I think, points us towards the faithfulness of a disciple. We've talked about the foundation. This is the faithfulness of a disciple. I've got three points today, all starting with the letter F. You'll be very impressed with my alliteration. So, faithfulness. I think we live in a culture where we want everything really fast, where it needs to be instant, and if something's worth doing, it's worth doing quickly. And I think we take all of that and we import it into our discipleship, and we want like 24-hour sanctification and instant spiritual results and a quick fix in the areas of our relationship with God where we're struggling. And it doesn't work like that, does it? Just remember Enoch, 300 years. Eugene Peterson, again, he wrote a book, and the title of of that book is his definition of discipleship. 
So the way Eugene Peterson defines discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. I really like that phrase. A long obedience in the same direction. It's not a glamorous phrase. It's not particularly exciting, is it? What we want is high impact. What we want is an amazing encounter with God's presence. What we want is to be filled in the Holy Spirit. But what Peterson's saying is discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a marathon, not a sprint. In that same book, the way he unpacks this, he describes the difference between a spiritual pilgrim and a tourist. So he says a lot of us are like spiritual tourists. You know, like a tourist goes to see a city and they're there for a couple of days and they just dip in and out. They're not connected to the place. They have no history there. They don't know the people. They go and see a site and then they leave. They go and check something out. They take some photos. They take video and then they leave. And he's saying this is a lot like our approach to discipleship. We dip into the Bible and then we're off. We drop into church and then we're off. And it really doesn't make much difference until next Sunday. We dip into our life group and then we're out. And it really doesn't bring any transformation into our life. We're like spiritual tourists. We just dip into these things periodically, but we remain unchanged. We're not connected. And he says the contrast is a spiritual pilgrim. A pilgrim is someone who goes on a long journey, often an arduous journey over a long period of time, maybe over some tough terrain, and they journey with others who can help them. And this is the essence of discipleship. This is what it means to be faithful, is that we are spiritual pilgrims together, going on this journey, helping each other along this journey. We put so much emphasis on what's happening in the moment in our discipleship. You know, that we need this big encounter, and it's about how I'm feeling right now, and it's about something that's giving me huge impact. But we need to remember that this is a pilgrimage that we are on that stretches out over the course of our lives, and it's going to have many highs and many, many low points. It's going to have the hills, and it's going to have the valleys. And we don't need to get all caught up with excitement about how we are feeling in this particular moment about our relationship with God. It is much more about a steady, humble, sometimes quiet walk, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit over the years and over the decades. That's a faith that perseveres. That's a faith that lasts so if you're worried about how it's going like right now for you in your spiritual life, just remember Enoch. Just remember 300 years. Start thinking, not just three days, but 300 years. You're probably not going to live that long, but just think about this journey that is going on over the course of your life. And what does it mean to walk humbly and faithfully with God over the years and over the decades? All right, finally, final mark of a disciple we see from this negative description in verse 16. Jude says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. So it's a pretty negative description. And the character that comes through here is these people are just utterly selfish. They're arrogant, they're self-absorbed, and they're only thinking about themselves. And if you put that we take that as a negative image and we invert that to try and see the positive image of discipleship. What you see is the fruit of a disciple. And the particular fruit, I think, that comes out as the contrast here is the fruit of humility. That's really what Jude's describing. I can't help but think when he, when he talks about this phrase, they flatter others for their own advantage. I can't help but thinking about Philippians 2, 
where Paul says Jesus, even though he was in equality with God, he didn't consider that something to use to his own advantage. Even though he had it, he had equality with God. He didn't consider that something just to be used for selfish means. If ever there was anyone that could have clutched for position and power and platform and status, it was Jesus. And yet he didn't do that. He didn't use that to his advantage. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He gave his life away. And this speaks to us about the fruit that comes of humility. And again, this is born out of that first attribute of a strong foundation. It's not just about going out there and trying to be a really humble person. It's not just about going out there and seeking this virtue. It's about grounding ourselves in the love of God and then allowing this fruit to, to be produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives over time. Sometimes I think with humility, we kind of mistake it for negative self-esteem. And we kind of think that humility is the same as just having a negative view of ourselves, that we need to basically think, think less of ourselves and reject ourselves and loathe ourselves and, and just have this low self-esteem. Uh, I love the quote by C.S. Lewis who says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. I think it's a really good way to flip it around and think it's not, it's not this kind of I need to think of myself as a terrible person. It's I just simply need to think about myself a bit less. And that is the fruit of humility because we're so self-absorbed. We're so much about this is my life, what's going on with me and my own head and my own world and my own stuff. And as we grow as disciples... The challenge, the invitation by the Spirit is to turn outward to look at others around us and to say, can I tune in a little bit more to the world of people around me? Like the person sitting next to you this morning, what's going on in their world? I know you've got your own stuff. You've got the things that you've brought today, but the person next to you and the person a few chairs on from you in that row, what's going on in their life? Do you, you know, could you take an interest? People in your life group, do you know what's happening in their lives at the moment? Are you tuned into that? Or are you really just hoping that they'll ask you what's going on in your life so you'll have a chance to share more? We've got to get outside our own heads and take a real genuine concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, thinking about ourselves a little bit less and thinking about their needs, their interests, their experiences. Some of you may be in a, in a tough situation with someone else, but just try thinking about yourself in that situation a little bit less and think about their experience. How is the person on the other side of the fence feeling about this? How is the person on the other side of that dispute feeling about what's going on? How is the person on the other side of that disagreement experiencing this? What are they bringing? What's their story? And how can you empathize? Even if you don't agree, how can you empathize a little bit more with them? That's the fruit of humility. That's the fruit of a disciple. This journey that Jude's describing of discipleship, often we assume that discipleship is just a smooth, even, steady journey of becoming more like Jesus over the course of our lives. And I've probably stood up here and said similar things to you, but it's just not the case. We think it's this graph that just goes up and to the right. But that's never the real experience of real people in the real world, is it? Discipleship is really, really messy. And it sometimes feels like three steps forward and 10 steps backwards. Sometimes you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. And so the last thing I'm going to do is tell you this is just some nice tidy staircase that you step, 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 and you become more like Jesus. This is a long journey of gradually allowing the grace of God to take greater and greater shape in our lives 
allowing those spiritual roots to go deeper and deeper and deeper so that the fruit comes. But that process is, is often fraught and hard and sometimes doesn't feel like you're going anywhere at all. But I want you to be encouraged, even when you don't see the progress, God is still working. I want to read something as we finish this morning. And I thought maybe I could read this just as kind of a devotion for you and you could just reflect on it. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to just sit back and get comfortable and just close your eyes and kind of receive this. It's really a description of the spiritual life. It's a description of the journey of a disciple and the different forms that it could take by a guy called David Powlison. So listen to this and you might see your own story in this description. You might hear your own life in one of these descriptions. So just receive this and be open to what God's saying to you through it. And then we're going to share communion together. The rate of sanctification is completely variable. We cannot predict how it will go. Some people during some seasons of life leap and bound like gazelles. For other people, and the same people at another season of life, sanctification is a steady, measured walk. You learn truth. You learn to serve others constructively. You build new disciplines. You learn basic life wisdom. You learn who God is, who you are, and how life works. Other people trudge. It's hard going. You limp. You don't seem to get very far very fast. But if you're trudging in the right direction, someday you will see him face to face and you will be like him. Some people crawl on their hands and knees. Progress is painful. And then there are the times you aren't even moving, stuck in gridlock, broken down. But you're still facing in the right direction. There are times you fall asleep in the blizzard and lie down comatose and forgetful. But grace wakes you up, reminds you, and gets you moving again. There are times you wander off in the wrong direction, beguiled by some false promise or disappointed by a true promise that you falsely understood. But he who began a good work in you awakens you from your sleepwalk sooner or later and puts you back on the path. And then there are times you revolt and you do a face plant in the mud. You do a swan dive into the abyss. But grace picks you up again and washes you off again and turns you back. Slowly, you get the point. Perhaps then you leap and bound or walk steadily or trudge or crawl or face with greater hope in the right direction. Holy Spirit, I want to acknowledge that all of those types of walking and trudging and stumbling are all here in the room today. Lord, some of us are leaping ahead in our relationship with you and just in life, and we celebrate that, God. Thank you. Others, God, are trudging, and it's just hard. And some are stuck, and they're not going anywhere. And some are just nosediving into the mud. Jesus, we thank you that wherever we are, your grace meets us right at that point. That you meet us in our leaping and you meet us in our trudging along. And for those that are just standing still and they're stuck, Jesus, you stand right there with them. 
just loving them. For those that are just nose diving into the mud, you're right there with them, Jesus, just patiently waiting, just holding out your arms of endless grace to them. I pray, Jesus, that we could receive your sufficient grace this morning wherever we're at, however our walk with you is going, whichever of those pictures is true for us, Lord God, whatever the journey is like this morning, Jesus, we just want to ask you to draw near and make us aware that you are here with us. You are right beside us. Your arms are around us. You are holding us. You are sustaining us. You're walking with us or standing still with us or just sitting with us when we can't even get up. But you're right here, Jesus, so full of love, so full of grace and just blessing and speaking words of love and life over us. Jesus, I pray that as we take steps to grow, that it would all be an outworking of your grace in our lives, coming from deep, deep spiritual roots. We just hear again your words, Jesus, your invitation, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Lord, we hear again that, that invitation to learn the unforced rhythms of grace in our lives, just to allow you to draw us closer and deeper and anchor us so strongly in your love. God, as we need your comfort this morning, we pray for that. And as we need to be made uncomfortable, we want to pray for that too, Lord God, that you would shake us and stir us and challenge us where we need that. Father, we thank you that you are our Father and we are your children and nothing is ever going to change that. So we lift our lives back into your hands, Jesus, and ask that you would continue to walk with us on this journey as we know you already are and you promise to be with us wherever we go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.